0: Welcome to the Great Unlearn. Join me, your host Cal as we dive deep into understanding and unlearning the programming within us. Let's uncover your inner truth for a life with newfound purpose and freedom. Get ready to question it all in the Great Unlearn. So today on the show, we got Mike Dillard, as y'all know. And um I want to start off, I want, I want you to give people an idea of what your life was like prior to that pop, that click in your brain. And it's not the click that uh, most people would think of, the inspiration, like, aha, it was a much different one. And yeah. so I'd love for you to maybe kind of set the stage, for what your life was like. You know, I think typical
1: entrepreneur, A-type driver. Uh, super competitive, always on the go. I could really sum up my daily routine for the last, I think 10, 15 years. Caffeinate in the morning, work all day, have a ton of fun, you know, all about five o'clock, go have a nice dinner and a few drinks somewhere, maybe take some melatonin to fall asleep, pass out, wake up again the next day and do it again. But mm-hmm. it, the, the interesting part about, you know, looking back uh, during my career uh, was a very clear addiction to adrenaline, which I was not really aware of. Mm. So I would say from the age of three or four, I was competing. I was BMX racing on the very first little red rider bike that you could buy and competitive sports my entire life, competitive video gaming. When I wasn't on a field doing something, uh, I think I was one of the top 10 players in the world for, I don't know if you played command and conquer or red alert back in the day or no. or any of those games, mm, yeah. uh, And then that turned into entrepreneurship and the risk-taking and the adrenaline that comes along with that. And then that turned into racing cars. Uh, I discovered a passion for motorsports in 2008. I got to go play down in Baja, Mexico uh, with some friends of mine and uh, Jesse James. We did like a three-day excursion through the desert. I was like, I like this a lot. And six months later, uh, I signed up and strapped into the same car to race the Baja 1000, which was the very first Motorsport competition I'd ever been in, and I'm like, oh, let's do the longest, most dangerous race. <laughs> yes, sounds good. So, so that sums up uh, my life for about 15 years is is diving in and and going as fast, it literally and as hard as I can. Damn, and so then, and then one moment,
0: it all it all changed. You had, I guess, in some ways, it's it's uh, it's a it's an awakening.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, you know, for me, I had the, my, my, my experience in Las Vegas was kind of my awakening. And a lot of people don't have that. And I want to talk about that later on. Like, what can, what can you share for people who don't have that moment, right? That, that shifts everything that changes yeah. your entire world. Yeah. But leading up to that, what was your, what was getting out, getting you out of bed every day? Was it just the adrenaline? And it was like, trying to, you know, this, this idea to accumulate as much of whatever that you could, whether it was wealth and possessions.
1: No, my, my primary motivator is, has always been to fulfill my potential in the greatest way possible, because I'm very aware of the the finiteness of life. And I feel like I, I've been given some, some abilities that, um, I should be taken advantage of. And for me, the primary motivator is not is making sure I'm not on my deathbed in, in my 80s or 90s and looking back with any kind of regret. Mm. Like I didn't leave it all out or, or go as hard as I could. So uh, for me, that's always been the primary motivator. And I've taken some really big swings that put a ton, too much stress on me looking back and, in retrospect, where I put all of my chips on the table and on a couple of business ventures.
0: Give, give us an example of that.
1: The first the the biggest one was evergrow. So in 2014 I left my information business behind that's kind of where my primary background has been has, has been in kind of the education industry. I done very well in that. I'd built two multiplate figure businesses doing that and felt like I had accomplished anything I've I'd set out to to do in that industry and I wanted a newer challenge. I was very much inspired by uh, Elon and by Peter Diamandis's work and was fascinated by the decentralization of all of these different industries that were happening right with 99designs and odesk and uber and airbnb and all of these other companies and i lived uh in downtown austin in a high rise right across the street from whole foods in the headquarters so i was literally there every single day very fairly healthy lifestyle i would do a lot of juicing so i'd go over there and it was unbelievable i'd drop a hundred bucks on a basket full of greens to go juice which my last one or two days and (laughs) I was like, this is this is crazy. This is absolutely insane that you have to literally be wealthy just to eat food that's not covered in poison. Right. So this is what I'm thinking about when I'm sure I'm doing my shopping and and I'm reading Peter's work. I'm in his Abundance 360 group. And I'm like, why hasn't anyone decentralized the ag industry yet? Right? This is one of the biggest, most important industries in the country. And the reason food prices are so high is because it's so centralized. And it's insane when you think about the fact that you're growing these different items, avocados, whatever they may be on the other side of the country and, or the other side of the planet, putting them through processing, shipping them in 18 wheelers or or boats and putting them in a grocery store. And of course, something that should cost 10 cents costs a dollar. Right. So the solution to me was obviously, well, let's decentralize the ag industry. And no one had done that yet. And I was like, that sounds like a really worthy use for my time and brain power and money. I want to, I want to make that happen and do that. So I had no idea where to start. I'd never developed a physical product before. I'd never grown anything before. So I literally jumped on Amazon and bought a couple of books on hydroponics and farming and just kind of dove in that way. Mm-hmm. And I from a marketing perspective, it's like the only way that this is actually going to gain traction and work is if it's easy and anybody can use it and it is um, it requires no expertise whatsoever. And it's basically a robot that does all of the work for you. And it just becomes a, a different type of appliance in your house. Um, it has to work in any environment, especially in urban environments. So whether it has access to sunlight or not, et cetera, et cetera, it needs to fit in a small apartment or a condo. Uh, and if it didn't meet those requirements, then it's not going to have the penetration necessary to change the, the metrics and the numbers of, of the ag industry, right? So that's where I started and I hired a a designer. I I want to stay on ODesk. I don't remember where, and I kind of had an idea in my head of what I wanted to look like. This had to be beautiful because you're going to have this on display in your kitchen or your house. It needs to look like a piece of art, right? And so I got a Voss water bottle and I bought a a background image, um, of a kitchen and I found a Photoshop designer and I said, Hey, erase all the Voss logos put this logo on here, fill the center up with plants and put it in this kitchen. And so if you can imagine this beautiful glass cylinder full of plants, that was kind of the the concept art that I then took to industrial design firms and started just old calling industrial design firms in Austin and in California. I had no idea what I was talking about. I didn't speak the language at all. And I said, hey, I want to make this. Do you want to help? And and started getting bids. And I ended up going with Whipsaw uh, out in Silicon Valley. They'd done some really beautiful products that were very Apple esque in their design. And so I was like, all right, let's, let's go for it. And it was really interesting. The original estimate to get to a working prototype was 500 grand. And like, that sounds reasonable. I can do that. So we start, this is all Mm self-funded. Yeah. Yeah. We start designing and brainstorming. And that was the most fun part of this project for me is figuring out this puzzle of how do you take a certain amount of volume and Design it in a way to grow the maximum amount of plant yield to where there's room for the plants to grow. There's room for the lights to hit all of the plants because if they start to grow, then it blocks the the light to the plants below it. And and that puzzle was super fun to figure out. And one of the the interesting pieces was the primary design constraint became the size of the standard size doorframe because at the end of the day, this has to fit through somebody's doorframe. They get delivered and set up in someone's house, right? So that's the Dimension that we had to work by, and it ended up turning into one of the hardest things in the world. And I realized why no one had actually done this yet. <laughs> so, um, how long into the process are you at this point? I want to say a year and a half. Fuck. By the time we really start, because Whipsaw had never done this either. Nobody they had tons of tech experience, but nothing when it came to growing plants. And we're figuring this out from eBooks. Right. Yeah. So that was, that was a, a, a big mistake on my part. And I started bringing in experts after that, but it was only once we started running into dead ends and really big challenges. And what I didn't anticipate is, is the fact that you're, you're having to manage the pH of the, the water and the nutrients that are going in. You're having to manage the nutrient levels. You're having to manage the light and you're having to do all of these things in a living system. And what I didn't realize or that I didn't really. Uh, give proper attention to is the waste cycle or the metabolic cycle of a plant. Like, oh, it's just uptaking nutrients and does its thing, but it's also actually excreting waste, which then gets recirculated through all of the plants. And some plants want a pH level of A, other plants want a pH level of B. If not, it doesn't get that, then they they look wilted and not very attractive and not, you know, it's not what you want to see when you're trying to grow food. And this plant might take up all of the, the phosphorus, and this one might take all of the magnesium up, and then they're all fighting for these nutrients, and now they're all peeing in the same pool, literally, and kind of making each other sick, right? So we just started to run into these challenges that made the system more and more expensive. Okay, well, now we need a real-time pH sensor that's working all the time that's then running the control board that the, is properly dosing these things. and then we had a Wi-Fi antenna built in that was, you know one of the, the neatest parts is we we built these agricultural led lights and the Wi-Fi antenna. And we set them to track based on your location, the natural sun cycle. So they'd come on in Mm. the morning as the sun did and go off at night from a blue light perspective. Right. And at the end of the day, we did it. That grew 36 plants at a time. And I was like, that's enough, a production to, you know, feed at least two people on a regular basis. And at the end of the day, we calculated that we could grow around $4,000 a year, of organic produce for about 400 bucks, So we could reduce the, the cost by 90%. And we're reducing 100% of the pesticide use on the farmland. We're reducing 100% of the fresh water waste on the farmland. We're reducing 100% of the 18-wheelers and the shipping containers, the, the retail store and everything. It literally starts and ends in your house as it should be, right? And so we can take all of this centralized farmland in the United States and basically break it up into three square foot pieces and do millions of units across. And that country. was the size.
0: It was three by three.
1: It was a cylinder. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is, this is the prototype in my living room downtown. That is gorgeous. Yeah. So it's like something you'd want on display, right? Yes. Well now, you know, it's a cylinder. So how do you access the plants in the back? Well, now we had to figure out a way to spin the entire thing while the water in the the, the wiring doesn't turn. And it, it just became this massive Rubik's cube that two or three years in is now well into multiple seven figures. And I'm like, okay, guys, this is getting to my breaking point from a stress level and financial level. How much longer do we have? And well, well like we, we, we still need to work on all the safety testing. We need to work on package design. Uh, we need to uh, go through the tooling process. And I'm like, what's the tooling process. This is how ignorant I am when it comes sure. to manufacturing a process. Like what well, we have to make the tools that'll eventually stamp out the parts, right? Which is
0: fucking expensive. I learned it.
1: 50 to a hundred grand a piece. Yes. Yes. I learned about that. We
0: were looking at doing, um, some cold plunge pieces, you know, to really yeah. kind of bring that to market. And it's like, as you start adding up the tooling, it's, it's astronomical anyway.
1: You know, and then insurance, what if, what happens if a kid starts to climb up this thing and it, and it weighs like 150 pounds and it falls over and then like just all of this different stuff, right? That just kept coming into play. And finally, I just reached a point where I was like, I'm going to, if I want to continue this, I'm going to have to go raise money for it. And right at that same time, and I, and I, this is a blessing now. There was a- complaint. Give us a, when was this? This is 2014, 15, 16. 17 ish. Yeah. So maybe 15, 16, 17 were the primary years. This was going on. Uh, and one of the competitors out there was a company called click and grow. And they had this little, little countertop system that grew three plants at a time. Right. And you bought the little pure egg cup that had a, a artificial soil in it and a seed, and you just popped it in and it grew the plant. And it's like, that's super cool. But three plants doesn't change anything for anybody. Right. Nobody cares about mint basil. <laughs> well, so that's what I'm thinking this whole time where I'm like, They're going to be my primary competitor. And, uh, and then right as I run into this decision point, they come out with three more systems that grow nine plants, I think 27 or 31 plants and 54 plants. And they're, you know, a Y Combinator-backed company. They've got 25 people. They've got 15 million dollars in funding. They've been in this process for seven years. They've got universities all over the world that are developing their seed and their soil formulas. Oh, shit! And I'm literally doing this from my laptop in my house, right? Yeah. So, so as a marketer, I'm doing the side by side. I'm visualizing the side by side comparison on the sales page and the review sites. Right. Yep. Ours looks better, and theirs is a third the price and easier and less tech, less sophistication. And it was frankly, a much more elegant solution. So I call them up and I I reach out to the founder Matthias and I'm, I'm like, Hey, I'm in the same space as you. I love what you guys are doing. Um, I also think that, you know, we've got maybe an opportunity to work together. Here's what we've developed and maybe we can redesign our system to fit your seed pods and, and your tech. Right. And that, that wasn't, they'd already had their roadmap out there going their direction. Uh, but they're like, we, we have a bridge round open, you know, in our A. If you're interested in buying into the company. And I was like, you know what? Let me think about that. So I went and talked to a bunch of advisors. Uh, Peter Diamandis was an advisor to Evergrow. And I'm like, here's the situation. I'm driving myself into the ground trying to build this thing. We should have done more homework on the front end instead of just diving in and building the parachute on the way down, frankly. Mm. And I've got a decision to make and universally, everybody was like, Hey, just go invest in that business. It's not, it doesn't matter that you do this. It just matters that it gets done at the end of the day. If this is about the mission and not you, then just go help the company. That's actually in in momentum and has a shot at it. So that's what I did. I wrote them a big check and, um, they're crushing it now. They're doing great. So ideally. I'll get back the millions that I put into Evergrow.
0: (laughs) Yeah, That was going to be my question. I wanted to know along the way, you know, you you get the, the $500,000. This is what it's going to cost. You're like, okay, I can, I can handle that. At that moment where you're like, okay, at this point, like if it's, if it becomes a million dollar project, like maybe I got to look, did you ever kind of had that kind of forecast? No, you just kind of kept, putting a little money
1: here, a lot of money that's there. The stubborn, and then the stubbornness, Yeah, like I, I think like most entrepreneurs, once I get a vision in my head and I get emotionally attached, that's kind of our art. Um, I have to see it through to the end. And that was, that was the commitment level until um, my health And this leads into the click. Right. So mm. I've got this prototype running in the house and we're growing food and Stress is obviously accumulating and I noticed that my body's ability to handle stress starts to reduce. My temper starts to get shorter and I'm super, I'm a super even tempered person. And all of a sudden, when I would play a video game, I'd hop out and play PUBG for an hour, right? And take a break from work. My body would just start to feel like I'd gotten out of a a nine ring, you know, nine round fight. Like I'm just hurting and I'm, I'm sleeping less. Sleep's deteriorating. Health is deteriorating and this is happening over the course of a few months. And I'm like, something's not, something's not right here. And so one day I'm again, just taking a break from work, playing PUBG. If you're not familiar with that. It's a super intense, uh, first person shooter game. So highly, highly adrenalized, tons of adrenaline, tons of cortisol. That's surging through your system as you're playing this. And all of a sudden I feel a little click in the back left of my head. And I'm like, oh, that's really weird. You're not supposed to feel a click in your brain. What the hell was that? It was a physical click that you literally could. Somebody like tapped at the back of your head right here, but it was inside. Yeah, it's really weird. Um, obviously didn't think much about it. Uh, Went to bed last that night. Didn't get any sleep. It's like, oh, that really sucks, but I've, I haven't been sleeping well anyway. And up
0: until then, what was, you said you'd been, you know, hadn't been sleeping as much. Yeah. You went from sleeping X to sleeping Y.
1: Probably, you know, sleeping four or five hours to like, I didn't get a, a, any sleep that night. And the next morning woke up to fly out to Aspen for food and wine with some friends, spent the next three days drinking a, you know, a ton of wine and, and partaking in that. Uh, really didn't sleep at all there. And then that first night in Aspen, uh, just had this repeating set of music that was going off in my head that I couldn't stop. That was scary as F um, for you to, to have something going on in your brain that you don't have control over was very, 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 very scary. Uh, and that moment was uh, re- the start of the, the next three year journey. Um, I couldn't fall asleep physically again uh, for well over a year and a half. Um, the first seven days when I got, I flew back to Austin, hadn't gotten a minute of sleep other than maybe some disoriented alcohol level type stuff, but yeah. no deep restor- restorative sleep. And by day seven, I'm on my couch. Uh, I feel like my body's shutting down. Uh, I feel like I'm going crazy. I don't know what's going on. Um, and I don't know what to do. My doctor has no idea what's going on. He gave me a prescription for Ambien and, and Xanax, which I've never taken before. I'm not into the pharmaceutical stuff. That helps one night for a couple of hours. The next night, it doesn't help at all. So I'm taking 20 milligrams of Ambien and I'm taking twice the, the normal dose of Xanax, and that got me about 45 minutes of just surface level lucid dreaming.
0: When you say twice the normal dose of Xanax, what's is a normal dose one bar or no? Because I've had a quarter of a bar once, and that was like enough to knock me out.
1: Yeah, so it was too full. Fuck. Yeah. yeah so um so that's not working and now what else do you do so uh my my life basically went from aspen food and wine and building this amazing project to being stuck in bed all day then moving to my couch all day and then just going back to bed and wondering what's going on uh within a few weeks that turned into suicidal stuff because uh, it's like you lost your mind and you can't sleep. And that literally is a form of torture, right? It is sleep deprivation. And so I started talking to every doctor that I could. And the really scary part is when you get on Google and YouTube with your symptoms and you cannot find a single piece of information or person that has the same symptom.
0: That's like almost, that almost never happens.
1: Exactly. And, and the worst part is, is now you don't have hope. Um, the hardest part of this is it would have been much better if someone had said, Hey man, you, you got cancer or whatever, like, okay, we know what it is and we can go address that. When you go to five doctors, like I've never seen this before. I don't know what to tell you. And you can't find anything online. Then that gets super scary. Cause what do you do? Right? So that was the beginning of the next chapter of my life, but that went on for almost two years. And uh, unfortunately I just put all of my money into Evergrow. Right? millions of dollars of savings went into that project and now that's done. And I've still got 40, 50 grand a month in overhead, personal employees, you know, all of that stuff and no business revenue. I can't function from a business perspective. Um, so it just literally became a game of survival. And if someone had an idea, I would go pursue it. So over the next 18 months, uh, I did nine ketamine IV sessions. I did my first MDMA session. I did EMDR. I did transcranial magnetic. I did hypnotherapy. I did float tank. I did meditation. Uh, you name it. I said yes. And I, I went and did it.
0: And so we're talking like, um, 2017 into 2019. So Uh, June 13th,
1: 2018 is when the click happened. Okay. Yeah.
0: And when you said, you know, soon after you had suicidal thoughts, like, what, like, did did they? When did they subs? Like,
1: what ha, what was that experience like? Because it's not like that was the Xanax and the Ambien, uh, because I noticed. So as soon as, thank God, a, a good friend of of ours, uh, Hal, um, yeah. was going through, unfortunately, cancer at the time and chemo, and he gave me a THC pill to try, and that probably saved my life because that got me about three hours of sleep the very first time. And it's what allowed me to get off of the Xanax and the Ambien. And as soon as I got off that, uh, those tendencies went away. No shit. Yeah. So when people talk about that, like, Hey, this stuff can make people suicidal. Yeah. It, literally they can. So thanks to hell for that. Yeah. 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 So that was That was a a, one big turning point. And so 12, about 12, 13 months in, you know, the biggest lesson from this, uh, I met, I met an amazing woman named Christina over at Aubrey's house. One time he was holding an event and I dragged myself over there for God knows what reason. Uh, now it's very serendipitous, but, uh, I'm barely functioning and I haven't slept in days. Right. And I'm just kind of stumbling around his house, trying not to look weird or, you know, like an idiot. And I, and I run into this really nice woman and I'm and, um, like, hi, I'm Mike, I'm Christina. And she's like, what's going on in your life? Well, I'm having these sleep problems. You know, I, I've got this little click in my head and I haven't been able to sleep in a year. And, and she's like, oh my God, the same thing happened to me five years ago. And she's like, did this happen? And this happened, this happened. I was like, yeah, she's like, that happened to me walking off stage after giving a presentation. And you're the only other person in the world that I've ever met that has had that same set of symptoms and issues. And so I'm like, yeah, right. Like
0: this is my you, person, you're
1: healthy and you made it, what ah, the hell happened and yeah. how, and how did you get through it? And it turned out hers was severe heavy metal toxicity in the brain. not sure if it was environmental or food or, or mm-hmm. whatnot, but she had heavy metal poisoning to it almost, she was in a hospital for probably five or six months, almost dead. Um, as they were figuring out what was going on, but same thing, she couldn't sleep for over a year and body was shutting down all of that good stuff, but she made it. And so I'm like, tell me what you did. And one of the things that helped her the most was ketamine therapy. It was like, tell me where to go. So signed up Dr. Womack here in Austin, went to, went to her office and started doing that. And those are not cheap. Um, at least with them, it was over a thousand bucks a session. Yeah, they are expensive. Um, supervised in a doctor's office, right? It's not like a casual <laughs> clinic you're going into. Yeah. And the interesting part about what I was going through is essentially there's a neurotoxin that's going through my brain, and I'll get to the source of it here in just a little bit. And it's lighting up your limbic system, so your fight or flight system, because your brain senses and your body senses we are under attack. And essentially, we were being eaten alive by a tiger. That's why I can't sleep, right? Like you cannot go to sleep or you're going to die. And that's the way that it's stimulating that portion of the brain. So it's just releasing adrenaline and cortisol 24 seven, as if I'm running down the street from a wild animal, even though I'm laying on the couch, barely functional. Right. So I go into that first ketamine session and I have no idea what to expect. I know this is an animal tranquilizer and You've heard about K-holes and you've heard a lot, I'm sure. I didn't hear, I didn't know any of that stuff. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm like, okay, this is going to make me sleepy and sedative wise. I'm like, okay, sign me up. Yeah. They put in the IV and I'm in a nice comfy lounge chair with a blanket and they turn the lights down and the nurse sits down next to you. And I remember turning the, the IV bag on and as soon as it hit me, I grabbed her arm and I'm like, holy shit, this is not what. I was expecting yeah because you're going to somewhere else and you're about to lose control yeah and i you know with my brain already in fight or flight i'm going under at that point and that turned into one of the scariest experiences of my life where i went through the whole ego death i k-hole where i'm in a time warp and i'm never getting out of here so i had to say goodbye to my son and my family and i'm sorry i like you mentioned on the show, I, I did this to myself. I shouldn't have maybe it's interacting with the medication yeah. and now they're going to have to wheel me around as a vegetable and I'm going to be trapped in my head for the rest of my life. Like, that's what you're doing in this experience and I'm seeing horrific visuals, blood and people dying and just, just very scary stuff. And an hour long session felt like, right, yes. you're, you're stuck in this situation. And I remember about 40 minutes in, I finally managed to eke out the word help. And the nurse could pick up on that. And so she shut it off and I came out and then was just in tears for the next hours, basically went through this hugely traumatic event with strangers that I don't really know in an environment I've never been to. And
0: it's not like you're in a ceremony room with sage and yeah. And for, for people, for context, like when you said, you know, you, you lose control, it's not, uh, in the context that we think of, like you're out of control, it's literally you lose the ability to function in a way that you normally can. And your body, everything just shuts down and uh, you're really rendered kind of incapacitated. Yeah, except and, your brain. Yeah, and, they, yeah. And, when, yeah exactly. <laughs> and then there is no way to really a uh, great way for, to prepare someone for it. You can try to describe it, They probably didn't do a terrific job. There are probably other ways to really try to, but it's like anything when you've done other psychedelics, you have the experience and and then, you know, it's even hard to describe, you know, they call it ineffable,
1: but. I wish, I wish I would have just, if they would have given me some expectations, hey, you might experience this, or you might have thoughts like this, or you might, you know, have, have this situation. If that happens, you're totally safe and everything is fine. Just breathe in and don't fight it and go through with it, right? Because, so when those expectations weren't set, I don't have any context. Oh, yeah. And so I'm like, oh, this is bad. Like, it's not supposed to be like this. And then you get in this fear spiral that and now I can't get out, now I'm trapped, and now it's, and it's just spirals, right? And so I wish they would have done that. And in hindsight, they also intentionally don't do that because they just want whatever is in your brain to come up and come out. And they don't want to influence it in any way.
0: That's so interesting.
1: And I, so I get it. It's like, which do you go with? And, and for my choice, I would have liked expectations because then I, I could have at least learned how to let go. And, you know, it's so funny uh, as I, w- as I, I went back for session two and session three, that was hard. As, that was hard as shit to go back and re-volunteer to go through the scariest thing you've yeah. ever been through. But it's like, if this is what's going to get me better then I'm, I'm in. And I'm like, Oh, after the second one, the second is still more of the same. Came out of that in tears, like, I don't want to do that again. And I'm like, I got seven more of these things to to do. Um, And I'm doing two or three a week. And the worst part is, is I'm doing it alone because I don't have anyone in my life that really understands what I'm going through or they're all at work. And I'm doing this in the middle of the day. And now I've got to come out of the situation and get in an Uber with a stranger. Holy
0: shit. That's
1: hard. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it was a very lonely very lonely, scary experience that went on for, for nine sessions. And the interesting part of ketamine is I don't want to give people the, the wrong context here, or the wrong expectations around this. Over the course of the nine sessions, it was like a journey. And the first three were incredibly scary Four, five and six were like, oh, this isn't that bad. And, and I started to get a lot of positive messages and visions from that. Um, and then seven, eight and nine were really positive. And just about tribe and family and a new beginning and new birth and just very super cool. Uh, And the last session was like, "Eh, we got nothing else to do. We're bored. Like we've done. So what what I envision now that really happened and experienced is that it did its job, meaning it went and took all of the fear that the brain had stored up, processed all of that. then got to work on other parts of stuff that had probably been there since childhood. It worked on that. And then at the end of the day, it was like, okay, we're done here. And so I would highly recommend it because it was the first experience I've ever had with psychedelic therapy of any kind. It was a miracle medicine for what I was going through. And unfortunately, it didn't help. (laughs) Holy shit. Well, okay. well, (laughs) It helped in one way. Yeah. It didn't didn't help the sleep though. And I
0: think it's important uh, to really hit that especially with what you had been experiencing that that darkness in those first three and I think darkness yeah. is probably an understatement but um it's not everyone's experience and a lot of yeah. people that I've spoken to and I know just my own personal experience I've, I've had a lot of um you know I've had some that have been guided but a, a lot have been self-guided and they've been really beautiful experiences of um you know like I was talking about the other day, like just getting this sense of knowing about life and the universe, you know, just in a context that can be very calming and just understanding that there's so much that we don't really have control over. And so like, yeah. let's start to focus on the things that we have agency over. And, and then again, those are so small in number and so manageable actually. Yeah. Cause we get to say yes and no to those things as right. well. Um, but that's what, you know, I've, I've had, uh, you yeah, know, over the past couple of years, just, it's been a great tool for me. And again, I'm not recommending anybody go out and get some off the street and, and like do it with intention. Yeah, You, you did it in a medical setting. Um, I've done it as well in that, in And in ceremony, and it's been just uh, really a beautiful tool, but it didn't fucking work for what you were looking for, (laughs) or it set us. Maybe it helped set the container. It
1: kind of shook up the etch a sketch for you to. So what you know, looking back with hindsight now, what was going on is is ketamine takes down your conscious barriers, right? It accesses the subconscious. And so as soon as the conscious barrier of me being able to control my thoughts somewhat during this time was removed, all of the fear got to come out and play basically and be expressed. Right. So that's why my experience I think was so different than most people's because the brain was just getting fear signals and it's like, ah, we finally get to express that. And then it worked through that over the first three sessions. And then that tended to calm down. Um, but I didn't get any better. And that was super difficult as def- defeating and deflating as you can imagine, right? Because my hopes are so high. This is what worked for Christina. This is what's going to work for me. And it didn't work. That was a whole other lesson in letting go of expectation that I had to go through Ooh. and patience. And uh, so thankfully 12 months into this, 14 months into this, um, I go talk to my friend JP. who's like, you know what? Why don't you go set an appointment with Dr. Ann Shippy here? Have you looked into mold yet? And I was like, no, I haven't. So I set an appointment with Ann and we do a mycotoxin test. I get the results back three weeks later and the test scale goes from zero to 50. Anything above five is red and toxic and you need to go get it addressed. Right. And mycotoxins are a toxin that is released by mold and it's a a type of neurotoxin. Um, so I got my test results back and anything above five is dangerous. And the scale stops at 50 and my result was 21,000. Uh, my brain was literally being eaten alive by mold. And so that's why it felt like it was being chased and constantly under attack 24 seven. Cause it was, um, <laughs> Fuck. yeah. Yeah. So that was the best news I had ever gotten because now we figured out what the hell was going on. Yes. And what had happened is the, the, the neurotoxin level had gotten so high it, had starting to cause physical damage. And that's what the click was. And so, uh, it's, possible that the hydroponic system that I had had in my house was growing mold in the tank. No shit. And that that's what yeah. precipitated that or it came in, it came in from the outside. Cause I would, you know, have the windows open or the doors open and mold spores are in the air. They didn't come in and they're going to settle in, in the tank or in the AC system. And that's, so did you do a test on your house, your place or any of that? I or? left there by the time, uh, we figured out what the mold was. Okay. Uh, yeah, but it was definitely from that environment. It was where I was living, and I, I don't know if it was the the system or the, the AC system itself. So,
0: what's the process to remove the mold from your system?
1: Uh, it's about a two year long process. Mold is a beast. Uh, it is a it is a nasty, nasty beast that is very hard to get rid of. But it is it starts with uh, binders, so activated charcoal, Corella. And different, different species of mold work better with different binders. So you got to find out what species and then use the right binders for that. And then supporting your methylation cycle. So sure. glutathione drips NAD, B, you know, B vitamins, whatever your body can tolerate it. And at that time, my body could not tolerate anything. Um, I had to go on an autoimmune diet, which was one of the best things that I did. So no sugar, no alcohol, no gluten, no dairy. And for me, that was hard because I lived on cheese and a glass of wine or some tequila every night. Um, and those are all of yours. So that uh, one of the most interesting parts about this Cal is it was an event that forced change in my life. And a lot of us like to pursue change voluntarily. It's different when forced change is put upon you and you don't have a choice. And so I'm in a situation now where I have been forced to change every aspect of my life. I can't work anymore. I can't think anymore. I can't make money anymore. Um, I can't eat the foods that I like anymore. That would normally I would turn to for comfort. I can't race cars anymore. I can't play video games anymore. I can't watch action movies and I can't go hang out with my friends. So my world went from as big as you could imagine to, uh, basically existing on, on a couch or a bed and, and, uh, restricting my diet. And that was about it. So I go into doctor's appointments. Um, the most, the single most important piece when it comes to detoxing from mold is that you have to get out of the exposure and away from the environment. And in Texas, that is super hard to do as we found out, uh, as we found out over the last year. So moved out of that moved into another house that we thought was clean, got a little bit better, but then hit a plateau, stopped getting better, had it tested, had my blood work done again. Mycotoxin levels were, were starting to go up again, um, had the house remediated. So they'll come out and, and sterilize and clean everything, but they're never going to get it off. It's in the walls; it's nearly impossible once, once it's in the place. Um, so again, got a little better, hit a plateau, and I'm like, okay, I got to move again. And, and now, when you're in the situation where you don't want to buy a house, because if you buy a house, what happens if there's mold in it? So you're renting, but now if you rent, you're just taking a gamble because I, it's two or three thousand dollars to have a house tested, and it takes a month to get the results back. You can't say, "Hey, hold on to this house for me." Yeah. While I have this done. Yeah, and, certainly not in this town. Yeah, and then test five houses and spend fifteen grand to do so, right? Uh, so all you can do is take a sh- take a shot. And so we would take another shot, and sure enough, there's mold in it. And so during the pandemic alone, 2020, we moved six times. Whoa. So we've got two kids homeschooling during a pandemic, a dog, me sick, and. And we moved uh, roughly every two months to finally find a place that didn't have mold in it. And the conclusion we came to is we just have to buy new construction and seal it up and put in a bunch of tech to keep it sterile. And that's what we did uh, four months ago. And we moved in there, and ever since then I've been getting dramatically better very quickly because the exposure is gone. The body can start to to detox it and get ahead of the curve, if you will. And uh, so we're on the upswing, and now it's. matter of retraining the nervous system. So two and a half years of the nervous system just being pounded 24 seven severe adrenal fatigue.
0: Not to mention, like, let's not forget that the, all the years leading up to it, you were running
1: really hot, super hot, (laughs) caffeine caffeinated like crazy. Yeah.
0: And so your body it's, it's worn down and it, it, yeah, Calls to mind a a really good friend of mine who's actually been on the podcast, Ryan Frisinger, who's here in Austin. He had a similar thing happen with mold and um, much like you, I mean, it it changes life. Yeah, You know, for him, he actually went into the study of, he went deep into health. And he has a clinic here in Austin where he treats all types of people with Mm -hmm. autoimmune diseases, Mm -hmm. um, high-performing athletes, professional athletes, but people who who got to a point where you're at and they're like, I don't know what else to do. Nothing else is working. Western medicine isn't working. And um, But he came out of that the wounded healer. He's the guy who knows now because he's experienced that.
1: So all of the doctors I work with, same story. They all had severe life-changing mold experience and they literally became doctors as a result of that. Uh, And Chippy was working for IBM and she went through this and then became a functional medicine doctor. Like, um, so it's, I'm not smart enough to do that, but I can see how, how so many folks have gone that direction. Um, but the biggest, this was the hardest thing I've ever gone through. It stripped, stripped every aspect of my life from my ego to pride, to confidence, to money, to all of like, all of it's gone. And I had to learn to let go of everything. And one of the best parts about this is um, I got to do my first MDMA therapy session during this process, and that was the single most life changing thing I've ever done. It's like, oh, okay, this is amazing, and that started the the rebuilding process of healing tons of childhood trauma, all of the drivers that were had me addicted to adrenaline my entire life, and all of these connections and ego things, right? Mm got Mm -hmm. to start to be cleaned up. So uh, that combined with all of the other therapies I did, I did about two and a half years of therapy on a weekly basis. um, That has turned into the best thing that I've ever gone through. So yeah, that's been cool.
0: Yeah. you kind of had to blow everything up. And I think now that you're where you're at right now, and I know you said earlier, you're still not sleeping great
1: if you were to ask me from an intuitive standpoint, the mold chapter is over. I really feel like the body's healed from that. But after two and a half years of the nervous system being in that limbic loop, if you will, uh, it's just, that's what it's used to. It's used to that, that pattern and that cortisol level. And so now it's just getting that back into balance. So uh, Reiki and acupuncture and yoga and meditation and so that's the, the path that I'm on now, and I feel really confident that that's the last piece of the puzzle here. Probably take two or three good months of, of work, but there are systems out there from people who've previously gone through what, what is referred to typically as a limbic loop, uh, specifically a woman named Annie Hopper developed a system called the Dynamic Neural Retraining System. And this is also the, at the root cause of chemical sensitivities or fibromyalgia or any other kind of weird autoimmune type stuff. It's absolutely amazing. But if you go through her, her work and her testimonials that she has, it is really just a result of the brain getting out of balance and sending the wrong signals and getting stuck in this loop where it's constantly sending the sphere spike and it just causes havoc on the rest of the systems in the body. And if you start to retrain the brain, then all of that stuff goes away and it can happen really, really quickly. So that's uh, that's where the focus is now. And it's still a, um,
0: yeah, like what, what's, what's part of that, um, that kind of container right now for you to continue to work with that? What other things are you doing to support it?
1: Uh, continuing MDMA therapy about once a month. That's, that's phenomenal. But at the same time, it's really hard for me. Even if I start at 10 in the morning, I'm not sleeping at all that night. So for me, it's a 48 hour (sighs) commitment. (laughs) Um, which is not, which is not ideal, but the benefit, the benefit that comes from that is, is worth it because at the end of the day, right now, what I have to do is reprogram the subconscious and, and to let it know that, Hey, it's, you're safe now. We're not under attack anymore. You can relax and you can go to sleep. You don't have to be on guard all the time. Um, and, uh, the process to do that for me has been DNRS, MDMA therapy and hypnotherapy. And so, yeah. Okay. So.
0: With with that in mind, your life has obviously changed completely. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, as hard as that has been, right, and as challenging for me as the Las Vegas uh, Las Vegas yeah. experience was, like it, it, we we really had the benefit of having our egg cracked open and say, okay, this isn't working anymore in my way, your way of operating. Like it was, where
1: was it getting me? I was, I was going to end up with a heart attack going down the back straight of circuit of the Americas one day. Yeah. 100%.
0: You had attachment to
1: all these things. It
0: doesn't mean we don't care about these things anymore, but like we have that separation because those things don't hold us anymore. Those things, my attachments did dick for me when I was in Las Vegas, everything fell away. And I was like, Oh shit. What? like, The whole, my whole belief system got called into question. Now it took me a long time to unpack that, but that's what had happened in that moment. Like, none of this protection, this armoring I have is real. It doesn't work. It doesn't protect me from anything. And like you talk about those first three sessions on ketamine, like the fear finally had the opportunity to come out and play. And the only way to work through it is to have it out there in the open and to, Literally, to, to have to survive and say like, "Oh, it won't kill me. Yeah. it feels like it will, and you you definitely, in these different therapies and different psychedelics, have the sensation of death, and that's terrifying for people to think about if they've never gone through it. But there's nothing you can do in that moment except surrender to it. And that's just another, you know, kind of big lesson when done properly, these, these tools can really teach us, especially, you know, people like us who have that driven kind of type a, try to make everything happen and don't stop until it's completed. Like sometimes you need to surrender. In fact, a lot of times we need to.
1: Well, that's, that's the forced change, right? Like, there's nothing you can do about this. You've just, you've got to, to surrender to it. And I think the biggest, Overarching benefit or lesson that came from this entire process was discovering self love, mm. right? So when you when you get to a point where everything that you identified by or your personal value by, how well you were doing from a business perspective, you know all of these different metrics that entrepreneurs typically have for themselves, and all of that is taken away. It, it, the analogy I put is like Cersei from Game of Thrones, right, walking through the the streets completely naked where she was the once powerful queen and got stripped of absolutely everything and was literally just left with nothing but herself. Um, having to go through that experience was unbelievably hard, but the single most valuable thing that I've ever gone through, because I got to a point where I was enough for me, despite the amount of money I was making or the car that I was driving or the house that I lived in or or whatever, there was no other outside source of, value or validation that was required. And that was the biggest lesson from all of this, because once you get to that point, then you're completely free, right? You're free to do whatever you want without there being these unhealthy motivations behind them, right? Yeah. So,
0: and you cool. tap into who you really are, your essence, right? And we've yeah. talked about this before, yeah. but um, I like, like to use the analogy of the mountain, right? I think everybody who's, striven is that the, is that the right word when when we strive we kind of think about that mountain and we get to that peak and then when we get to that peak what what do we find there's another one so we start climbing again and we kind of you know for a lot of us we just we always stay on that path and i was on that up until yeah. you know three years ago with just super unconscious about it like this is just what you do as a man and you want to be successful you just go up this mountain and you have an experience like you had, you know, like I've had, and you start to walk down that mountain. And as you're walking down, you're starting to shed things because you don't need all the gear because it's getting a little warmer. So you're starting to shed what I like to think these attachments that we have to these other things. But along the way, it's not that easy because along the way, what's happening, fucking people are still climbing that mountain. And you're like, oh God, should I, am I going the right way? Because there's something intoxicating about that climb. But eventually you kind of get down. And I always think you get down to the bottom and you have nothing on. Much like you said with that analogy with Game of Thrones. And, you know, I haven't really teased out the, the analogy enough, but I feel like there's something about going in, you know, going down into the root system once you get down to the... There's something that I'm missing with this this yeah. whole analogy, but I believe like, and that's where we really get to know who we are. And yeah. then when we do, it doesn't matter where we are, what we're doing. When we're attached to that, it's what you talked about. It's self love, and there 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 needs to be a lot of acceptance for all the things that we've thought about ourselves, about others, and it's it's I think it's a, it's not ever I don't believe it's something that you ever quite figure out but it's you're in the, you know, you're in the process of it. And when you're out of alignment with it, you start to feel like your old self again. That was like, ah, mm. for me, that's the, that's when I know that I've fallen out of that mm. relationship with myself. Mm.
1: Yeah. 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 I think, uh, you know, at least for me, and I think this is true for a lot of entrepreneurs, the, the primary driver to become an entrepreneur is to prove that you're good enough. Whew. Right. I was, I was, picked on and bullied for years when I was young in a really bad way. So for me, it's like, okay, I'm going to use success as my, as my revenge. Right. Cause I was the smallest kid in school, so I couldn't physically do anything about it. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to be more successful, live a better life than you. Yeah. And that worked really well until it didn't, you know? Yeah. So, um, so now, now you get to choose a new source of motivation, uh, which is really, which is really cool. And also at the beginning, I think it's, it's a source of fear for a lot of people because, I've talked to other entrepreneurs, well, what if I lose my edge? What if I lose my driver? What if that goes away? And I get that. I get that fear. And having gone through this process, you will lose that particular motivator, but you will gain others and you'll be able to operate from such a clearer perspective that you now have an opportunity to actually get to the next level of whatever you want to pursue, but it's from a much healthier perspective than, than you know, used to fuel it.
0: I feel like, yes, a hundred percent. And I, I feel like the, the, the kind of the old model is just so like self-motivating and driving and all it's like proving other people wrong. This is a big one for people, but when you tap into what you're talking about, there's literally an infinite reserve of energy and clarity and vision. And you just go and there's no, there's no, um, Worrying about what other people are doing and using that guy to motivate me to go, like, you're just doing it out of, and we talked about this, but it's like fucking pure joy because it's fun. And it doesn't mean you're just out there dicking around and, but, but you're, you're having so much fun that you wake up and you can't wait to do it, but it comes from a different place. It's like from the heart, like, this is, this is who I am, you know? So, I guess that leads me into some some stuff I wanted to ask you about with regards to success. What does success look like for you now? You're an entrepreneur. You've been it your whole life. Like, what does it mean for you to be a successful entrepreneur?
1: Um, I mean, now to me, success is self love. Like, once you once you hit that, that is the ultimate prize in life. Um, and then once you attain that, well, then cool. Then it's just go create and have fun and and do whatever makes you, you know, lights you up. So for me now I used to, you know, hit the million and then, well, let's do 10 million. Well now let's do the hundred million thing, right? Let's have the exit. I could give a shit about any of that stuff now. So, um, for me, it's just, what do I want to wake up and do every day that I think is going to, is going to help move humanity forward in some form or fashion. And I've dropped all of the grandiose, you know, plans to, to have the hundred million dollar business. And, and uh, yeah, it's just coming from a completely different perspective now. So, I think that's it. I think success today is, is being free of your past and any of the baggage and demons that come along with that so that you can go pursue all of the best in life with a, a much healthier, lighter perspective. I think that's yeah, that's the ultimate
0: win. So so paint a picture for me. Something just came out for me. So let's say you're creating a business. Mm-hmm. And you're raising money, and the the old you would have said, okay, we're at a million, we're going to ten, and this is the path to get to a hundred, and you know you get everybody kind of on board, and it makes sense. Like you go into that same room, same concept. How do you get people on board? Like what is like what are you tapping into in that room? Because the old version is like, there's certainly inspiration in there, but there's spreadsheets and it's not to say that you're not going to use those, but what's going to get me to write a check for
1: whatever the number is so that like I'm on board. Personally, at, the, at this phase in my life, that's, that's not a position I would put myself in to, to put myself a, in a place where I'd have that pressure of having investors and having to go perform and whatever it may be. Uh, but I love what, how Elon approaches Tesla, right? For him, it's all about the mission. We're not here in the beginning specifically, Hey, we're not here to make money. We're here to, to light the fire for the next chapter of, you know, the automobile industry and to electrify the world. And and that's our mission. And if we make money in the process, great, but that's not why we're doing it. And I think that, uh, you know, that's it. So for me personally, right now, what lights me up is helping entrepreneurs, uh, start to manage their, their money in a way that gives them complete freedom so that they can go pursue their, biggest ambitions in life or make the impact that they want to make without the pressure of traditional financial stress that we would have on a monthly basis, right? How much better of a job could you do on your business? How much bigger of an impact could you make? How much more care and time could you give your customers? If you didn't have to worry about money on a monthly basis, you could just put hundred percent of yourself into the service in in the ways that you want to be of service. And having gone through the entrepreneur thing for almost 20 years now, having the component of overhead on a, on a regular basis, specifically as it starts to, to get quite high, puts a lot of stress on you. You start to compromise on the decisions that you make. You start to make short-term decisions that have long-term consequences and you just start to get burned out, you know, eventually, and it doesn't have to be that way. But in order to change that, we've got to help someone create actual financial freedom through passive income. And this really became a priority for me and, and my mission now. Because if I had had actual passive income from, let's say, cash flow real estate during the three years when I was going through this health challenge, that would have completely changed the game. I didn't. So I had to deal with the health stuff and somehow every month find a way to make 40, 50 grand a month to keep everything up and afloat, right? And that was brutal. Um, but I never anticipated that one day I would be building this hydroponic system and running a multimillion dollar business and the next day being unfunctional it was not a part of my reality. And so having gone through that, uh, my goal now is to really help entrepreneurs identify what is their subconscious motivation? How, what are their neurochemical habits and addictions that they have that are driving this lifestyle of go, 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 push, 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 uh, constant risk-taking, and Mm -hmm. to really set them on a path that financial freedom is, is the goal so that now you can do your best work without that pressure and you can work on yourself and and every other component. Um, so for me, that's, what's fun. And that's what lights me up and, and, uh, yeah, well, what we're doing. Sp- yeah.
0: Speaking frankly, yeah. F- you know, thank God you went through all that yeah. shit because now you get to share that same thing. It's, it's more medicine for others that, yeah. that you're not reading in a book. You experienced it. Yeah. So now when you talk about it, and there's truth in that, cause it's your truth.
1: And I think, 2020 was a crucible for many people. It was their moment of forced change, right? Like if you own a restaurant, you went through a lot of forced change. If you worked at an airline, whatever, maybe a hotel, um, you know, these business owners are going through a period of forced change that they were not expecting. Their lives are probably upside down right now. Their expectation hangover is probably off the charts. And, and so it is the perfect time for everybody to Change their priorities, reevaluate their priorities and what success looks like, right? Because before the pandemic, success looked like a Ferrari and, and a jet on Instagram, right? Yeah. Um, and now no one gives a shit about that stuff. Yeah. So I think it's, it's a great window for, for me to, from the background that I have and the people, the way that people had looked at me in the past versus what I've gone through and where I'm at now, it's a great juxtaposition because I've been in both situations. And I can really communicate to folks about what is actually important now. And I have the experience to guide them through a process of at least awareness that they don't have at the moment that can then set them on a path towards actual freedom instead of the illusion of it. I think
0: that's what separates you from so many out there that are doing similar work is that you've actually had the big success and you've had all the drivers that people are still in. And so you can speak to that and hold space for that and love that and not judge that and say, but you know, around the corner is this other way that, that I'm operating. And I really hope that you're sharing just like that, as you talked about, I hope I'm never in a room doing that. I won't be in that room because what you're talking about really, if, if I can reframe it, it's, I'm going to do it really makes me feel alive And if it happens to be something where I need some extra money, I'm not pitching anyone. If People are paying attention and they want to get on board. They're going to be dying to write checks to this because it's from my true inspiration. And it's like, that's like, that's what I feel from you is you're just like, I'm not trying to sell people anymore. This is who I am. This is what I do. And if, if you want to be involved, I mean, maybe I've got some room for some, you know, some investors or.
1: Yeah, it's just a, it's a different goal now and a different game. So it's all about creativity and fun. You know, Michelle and I want to, uh, and if, if you want, we've got time still. I know you yeah. were talking about, talking about crypto. Uh, you know, we're planning on cashing out at the top of this next cycle. And we just want to, she's a phenomenally talented at interior design and, and that's her passion. I love the, the creative process and design process around anything, whether it's Evergrow or you know a house. So we want to get into the short-term real estate industry, and we just want to set up inspiring, amazing properties in the prettiest places on the planet and turn that into kind of a boutique brand, if you will. Um, amazing. And just be creative and have fun and enjoy that. And, and it's also fulfilling the, the goals we have from a passive income perspective, right? So- Awesome. Well, and before we go, I do want to tease a little
0: bit. We're going to, my partner, my business partner, Ty Ward and I are going to sit down with Mike after this episode, and we're going to record an episode for the forthcoming Unlearned Ventures Radio. And we are going to get into crypto because Mike's had a lot of experience. Uh, Fascinating. Just, just learning what I learned from the, the amazing video you've put out. Um, But before we, kind of move on to that I'd love to know uh, your son's 10 years old Mm -hmm. I'd love to know what that felt like for me it's yeah (laughs) as a dad yeah you know my son just turned 18 Mm, and um my wife had uh our 15 year old son put together a video for him and it was three songs and it was 12 minutes long. And mm-hmm. there's one song in particular, um, by big red machine called, uh, I won't run from it. And I've heard the song probably four times since then, cause I listened to it and I literally ball every time because mm-hmm. all I can think about is him yeah, and him through the years. Mm-hmm. And so hearing you talk about, you know, um, your relationship with each other, how hard that was for you really, really hit home for me. And I would love for you to just share whatever you feel, um, what that was like for you.
1: Um, yeah, it's hard because you're thinking of, Hey, here's all the stuff. I'm never going to see, right. If, if I don't make it through this and, and it very was a, a life or death battle for, for two years, um, and not being able to participate in any way, uh, was really tough. So, I mean, my relationship with him for the first two and a half years of this event was literally sitting on a couch and watching Netflix all day. Like we didn't go to parks or do anything, you know, interesting or, or play and I live downtown in a condo. There's n- there's nowhere to go downtown with a kid, right? So, that was that was brutal. Uh, luckily his mom is super supportive and and she made up for a lot of that, you know, attention that he did not get, and so it's going to be very interesting to see when he's around eighteen of what that period of my life was like for him, and and kind of how that affected him. I think we do a pretty damn good job from a communication perspective uh, with him, but I'm sure it had an impact, uh, and I have yet to see what that is. But it's unbelievably fun to now be coming out the backside of this completely clear of all of the previous baggage. And so the connection that we do have now is much better and the level of appreciation for the time we do have is obviously much higher. So, uh, it's going to be fun next few years, but I, I, certainly couldn't have been there the way that I wanted to have, to have been during those, those few years, so.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks. Well, thanks for sharing that. And, and I'll just say from my own experience with, with my kids, um, there was like stretches of time where. I didn't have what you had going on, but I, I was checked out. Yeah. And what I can say, um, pretty confidently is that my relationship with my kids and and I'll just talk about my oldest right now, because that's who I mentioned earlier, but it's never been better. And it's just, it can really, um, you know, I think this summer it was a little, it was a little touch and go at times. Mm. We weren't really connecting. Um, things happen. He broke his jaw, Mm. um, in November and as shitty as that sounds. And it, it really, you know, put a hold on a lot of things in his life, that experience and, and what, how we shared in that together, I think took our relationship to a place that I didn't know that it would ever get. Mm. And, um, and so just like you said, like moving forward, like if we can just let go of the past, like don't, you know, and I think what you're saying too is like, don't just forget about like, what are the lessons from the past? But moving forward and not letting that hold, like for me, I just try to hold space for all the ways that I did or did not show up right. throughout his life. Yeah. And just know that now I'm super conscious and I'm able um, to be, the dad I want to be and have the relationship with him that I want to have. And so, uh, yeah, I would say don't sweat at all. Just from my own experience, don't sweat at all, whatever that was like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, no, I, you know, did the best I could. Yeah. You know? And now the way I look at it is I may have lost two years, two and a half years, but I've gained the next 50. Right. So good deal.
0: Yeah, I mean, think about the way you shifted gears and like yeah. how just. Your, your life is completely changed. Yeah.
1: No, so it was a good, it was a good trade. I don't wish it upon anybody, but it was, uh, it, you know, it's turning into one of the best things that ever happened to me.
0: Well, brother, I think that's an amazing place to end. Yeah. And uh, like I said, we're we're gonna take a little break here, and then we're gonna we're gonna pop on and talk about some crypto and some entrepreneurship and wealth building and just some fun kind of yeah. uh, stuff that we all love talking about. So let's
1: do it. Thank you. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, just MikeDiller.com would be great yeah it's got my bio in the link to the podcast and all that good stuff there so and if you could right
0: in 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 a few sentences or more like what is it you feel like um someone listening right now like what would you say to them if you're looking for this like i'm your guy like if what's the what's the bit of the the 10 second elevator pitch your story is so compelling and again. I think there are a lot of people out there in the same space who are doing the best they can, but they don't have any of the experience that you have. And Not only do you have the experience, you've you've integrated it into this next chapter, which I think is fascinating. And so that really resonates with me. And I I love that. So I want anybody listening right now, like, what is it like, you know, you've already shown that you've been through
1: you've had the highs, you've made the money, you've done all these things. Well, the show, I mean, you know, the podcast I've been doing for five years now and it it really started as an outlet for entrepreneurs. And we talked about business, you know, every week, uh, since this experience, it is really still for entrepreneurs and and people with ambition who want to achieve and experience the most out of life. But now we're just much deeper. We're having conversations like this instead of split testing and stupid internet marketing stuff. It's, It's about deep, deep work. It's about finance relationships with money, relationships with your kids, with your partner. Um, and it's a really eclectic, eclectic mix of, of topics. Uh, everything that you and I, and people like us deal with on a daily basis is fair game and that's where we go. And, uh, fortunately we've got, uh, just amazing guests on the show and that's been, it's been fun. It's been awesome.
0: Awesome. I love it. Thanks so much for coming on today, brother. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Much love. You've been listening to The Great Unlearn. For more information, check out the show notes or head over to thegreatunlearn.com for additional episodes and information regarding events, retreats, and the TGU store. If you like what you heard today, please click subscribe and share this with friends who might enjoy our platform. Don't forget to leave that five-star rating and review as it really helps us spread the love and unlearning. You can find me on Instagram at cal.callahan and on YouTube under The Great Unlearn. Thanks for listening to The Great Unlearn, and we'll talk soon. No, no different. Only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned.